When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1096. Uh, just a little shameless self-promotion. The Talking Dead is on this Sunday. That would be October 4th. Um, it's the What was going to be the season 10 finale of Walking Dead is finally going to air, followed by the uh, series premiere of Walking Dead World Beyond, and then a Talking Dead. Um, if you're following the Walking Dead news, you probably heard that... Uh, the season 10 episode that was going to be the finale is not the season finale anymore. They're going to be bonus episodes of uh, season 10 um, followed by the season 11 of Walking Dead, which will be an extended season. So it's we talk about it all on Talking Dead. If you don't watch Walking Dead, then your brain shut off <laughs> while listening to this anyway. So it doesn't matter to you. But if you are a Walking Dead fan, uh, Sunday we'll cover all of it. We'll talk about uh, Walking Dead, we'll talk about World Beyond we'll talk about plans for the spinoffs all the news that's uh, been in the news about The Walking Dead so that will be Sunday starting at 9pm um, 8 central on AMC alright, this is uh, from Andrew who writes to the corkboard events at ID10T.com the ID10T community corkboard Andrew says, I've always had a story in my head and wanted to put pen to paper, but always found some excuse not to do it. But I finally took your advice a few years ago and decided to make a thing. The result, Teddy the Time Traveler and the Statue of Liberty. That's a great title. That is a fantastic title, Andrew. Uh, and I feel like it gives you a sense of what it's about, but I, I will read on. The book is aimed at elementary age children and mixes the world of time travel with historical fiction. The first book travels back to 1860s Paris and New York. Teddy's life is in shambles after the mysterious disappearance of his father a year ago. His mother is working constantly and his best friend has also disappeared. On top of it all, a bully won't leave him alone at school. The fourth grade is terrible. The book is available in paperback and ebook on Amazon and in select bookstores. Um, and Andrew, thank you so much for writing in events at id10t.com will you be the next andrew who makes a thing and then shares it on the community court board i don't know i can't answer that this episode is jane seymour who is in a film in theaters now called uh, the war with grandpa it's an amazing cast it's her and robert de niro and christopher walken and cheech marin and rob riggle and uma thurman so uh, that is in theaters now and this podcast what an amazing conversation uh, I got to have with her. She is just such a, 
an amazing human being, does so many different things. You know, is, is an actor, a producer, a painter, a dancer, uh, does a, a lot of amazing charity work. And this really was such an inspirational conversation. You know, Jane, as you'll soon discover, is really just a person who just just gets things done, you know, lives in the moment, um, follows the things that she's passionate about, focuses on contribution and just knows how to turn obstacles into opportunities. So I, I really honestly am so appreciative that uh, I got to spend an hour talking with her. I learned a lot. I made, I made no, I listened back and I made notes. So thank you a million times to Jane Seymour uh, for being such a wonderful guest uh, on this episode of the ID10T podcast, which is number 1096 with Jane Seymour. Initiating ID10T protocol. done have you done podcasts before yes I think, oh good i think i have <laughs> yes. not obviously not yours but of yeah. course yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Now, i have actually various friends of mine decided to become podcasters so i've been podcasting with them i think it's very cool my my son introduced me to podcasts when we went on a road trip it's a cool thing very cool it is well and and also i feel like a lot more people are doing podcasts now because in a relative state of quarantine, people are like, well, I don't know what to do. All right, well, I guess I'll just make a podcast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> where, where are you right now? Are you in the UK? I'm in Malibu. Oh, oh, okay. And, uh, you know, if I turn this around, you can see what I'm looking at. Oh, that's gorgeous. Oh, so, my gosh. Yeah, so it, it's not bad. It's yeah. not bad at all, yeah. Did you feel the earthquake last night in Malibu? Do you know what, just... The tiniest thing, it was just, I have one of those beds that you know, goes up and down that seems like a good idea and vibrates if you want it to, but I've never used it and I don't even know where the clicker is. And I thought, oh, I wonder if somebody accidentally trod on the clicker, but there's no one in my room. So, <laughs> and then I thought, what if it's an earthquake? What are we going to do? And then I thought, maybe we'll just put the covers over our heads and open the bed. So, and of course, it was an earthquake. No, we didn't feel it. Not in Malibu. I think it, it went all the way up to Santa Monica, but not yet. Yeah, that's it. It was. It was like eleven forty-five at night or something. And my wife and I both jumped out of bed. And like, I don't. I mean, I've lived in LA for thirty years, and I still don't exactly know what to do. I'm like, do we stand under the door jam? I don't know what we're supposed to. I guess we just door jam or a, or a large table, but nowhere near a tree. I know that. <laughs> no, don't go. You're not supposed to run outside apparently because things can fall on you. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It, it it was definitely, you know, it reminded me that I got to pay some attention to that. Whereabouts do you guys live? Where we're live? we're kind of in the uh, like near Griffith Park. Oh, so, you were near where it happened, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. In the right direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom lives in Pasadena, and she said she's normally not scared of earthquakes, and she said it just like 
almost knocked her out of bed. So it was, uh, it was pretty intense there. Um, in general, how are you doing? Are you okay? Are you good? Are you, are you, have you been traveling? Have you stayed put? How are you? Well, you know, I think I can admit to it now, but I didn't dare at the time, but I, at first I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly social. I, um, I love to see my grandkids. I love to see my kids. Um, and my partner got incredibly nervous about everything and, you know, the masks. And I'd just come back from Spain where uh, COVID was really bad. And I, right. I got out of there one day before it got really, really bad. I think I'd had a bit of a flu while I was there. And it turns out that I probably have the antibodies. So I must have had some version of COVID when I was there without really realizing it. But you know, sometimes I get a flu and the first thing I do is I'll, I get steroids and, and, and antibiotics because I know that I can't afford to go to bronchitis. So right. that usually stops it. So, but I was fine. I don't, I didn't miss a moment. I was playing Eleanor of Acretane. It was freezing cold. I remember that. And I was in a castle, medieval castle. So anyway, I got back. He locked himself off and my house is two stories. He locked himself off locked doors wouldn't even go in the garden he just thought if you went in the garden the virus could find you and I'm just like so and my one of my sons a 24 year old son who's a rock musician who just moved back from Nashville after being gone four years he's making music here and and he he was building he built himself a you know a, a studio and so it was the two of us and then my boyfriend downstairs and then we looked at one another one day and friends of us said why don't you come to Wyoming and this friend of ours has very compromised health. He survived, you know, four bouts of cancer. And he oh, said, come. Wow. And I, I said, really? He said, yes. So I got into the car I never drive, the Suburban. I did what I've never done, which was a road trip. I put, got my, my daughter and uh, her and the children. They came separately in their own car. We all met up there. We had a road trip going there. We then went off on our other road trips. I went to national parks, joined the national parks, never been to Yellowstone, never been to any of these things, never been to the Grand Canyon, did all of it, saw a fire starting at the Grand Canyon, talked oh. to the fire brigade and escaped that. I mean, that's just for starters. Then I went to Australia and starred in a movie. Everyone said, are you crazy? You're going on an airplane? I went, yes. And they only allowed 50 people on the airplane, not 300. Wow bus airplane I never saw anyone they kind of locked me in there I arrived you know masked the the military the police with machine guns took us one at a time processed us put us into a into this um room kind of locked you up there for two weeks that was kind of weird very weird uh discovered uber eats while I was there uh discovered uh you know, talking to people when you're in Australia, it's good. The good news is your time zone is such that you can talk to your family in England and your family in America because someone's always awake when you're still. Right. So I did that great movie about Alzheimer's and it was great. Never got sick. No one got sick. It was perfect. Uh, came back here. Um, and, uh, you know, I, as I said, you know, we, can, we meet people outdoors. We grow all our own food and veg, fruit and vegetables. We have chickens. We... Um, it's, it's just been amazing. I've been doing a lot of um, nonprofit work um, for my charity, for Open Hearts Foundation. I have been painting um, on Zoom with old people in old people's homes in Dallas. That oh, wow. I painted with a lady who had ALS, was on hospice, died three weeks later, mm. and lasted much longer than they'd expected. And she painted 20 paintings before she'd passed. Oh, my gosh. So I then did a 
an online art auction and all the money raised, $75,000 went to COVID charities for women and children. Um, I have not stopped, to be honest. And I'm going back to Spain in two weeks. I'm booking my ticket as we speak. I leave, um, I think, on the 3rd or 4th of October. I'll be gone for three weeks playing Eleanor again in Spain in medieval castles. Uh, then I come back and do Kaminsky Method. I'm doing the press right now for War with Grandpa. I have another movie coming out in October and November called Friendsgiving with Malin Ackerman and Kat Dennings, which I'm starring in, which is just is going to come out. And then go back to Kaminsky. And then next year, I'm due to go to uh, Ireland and England to do a, a wonderful series that's been written for me. It's an eight one-hour piece um, for streaming and uh, very exciting. So, yes, I'm crazy busy. You're the busiest person I've talked to during this course. You got busy. Somehow you got, it sounds like busier. I, yeah, I don't know why. And I'm a designer and I paint. So I've been painting, very prolific painter. When they quarantined me, I had my paints with me in Australia. So I just kept decorating the walls behind me with paintings. And uh, um, yeah, I am, my, my agent told me at one point, I was literally the only person in the entire agency that was working. And I said, that's really funny, isn't it? Because most actresses at 40, their careers are over. I'm about to be 70 and I've never been busier. Well, it, you know, so everything that you just described, there's, there's so many things that I want to ask you about. I was, I was oh, I got to remember that. I got to remember that. But it sounds like, and at least in the way that you describe it, that um, you just kind of roll with whatever happens. Whatever's going on, you seem, it doesn't seem to bother you. Uh, I mean, maybe it bothers you, but you don't let it stop you, which I think is the important thing. Being bothered is one thing, but letting it stop you is another. So is, is this a skill set that you cultivated over time or have you always just, do you, are you just innately that way? Well, first of all, you know, my mother survived three and a half years in the camps in Indonesia. Right. And in, so um, I grew up with a, a mother for whom, you know, someone says, no, you can't, she did it. <laughs> so, and and uh, my Mother lived her life to the fullest, whether she you know, lost her eyesight or her hearing or had arthritis, nothing stopped her ever. And so I'm a bit like that. Plus, a um, number of years ago, I had a near-death experience uh, in Spain, actually, in Madrid, where I had an injection of cephalosporin, an antibiotic, and it missed uh, a muscle and went into a vein. I had anaphylactic shock, and I died, and I was resuscitated. So after that happened... Um, my whole life changed because I realized that dying didn't hurt, that when you died, you left your body and you could actually see and hear everything that was happening. And of course, if you're resuscitated like I was, you now can tell people what happened because you were there right. and you could see and hear what they were doing, you know, even once you, you know, you're pronounced not being there anymore. Um, and I think I just love life so much that I don't live in the past. I live in the present and I live in the what can I do rather than what can't I do. So I know I can protect myself by being healthy. I know I can protect myself and others by wearing a mask. I know I can make a difference if I vote. I know I can't win. Nobody's going back to anything. There is no back to. It is a reset in life. And it, I think life is a reset every day of our lives anyway. Um, some of us more privately than others. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's a global reset. And you have to hope that, um, you know, that people are being as responsible as they can be and do what they can do to help others. And I have noticed that there are an enormous number of uh, people, especially younger people, that really want to volunteer their skill set. 
They want you to, what can I do? Well, my daughter, Katie, who's 38, started a, um, a nonprofit with, under our nonprofit. Uh, it's um, going to be, it, it's a, um, like a, a swiping, like a, a you know, a, a dating site, but it's for vol- volunteering. So oh, wow. it's called Young Hearts and it's brilliant. You know, you swipe this way, that way, but basically it's very exciting. We're about to, you know, put it out very soon. We've been working it for a while, but because of COVID and everything, um, but it is going to happen. And the idea is that you put in your skill set and, you know, your location and what you care about. And then the organization put what they're looking for, what they do, and that everyone's vetted. So, you know, you then decide if you want to connect with them or not. So rather than, uh, you know, sitting back and saying, there's nothing I can do, you maybe you're a paralegal or a lawyer. And, you know, there's some people dealing with immigration issues that can't afford a lawyer and don't know how to read a form. Or maybe, you know, you speak a couple of languages and you can translate for somebody or you, you know, you know how to cook and or you know how to help kids learn how to work, you know, to study on Zoom, whatever it is, people can volunteer and make a difference. And I, it makes me very excited because there is, I, I'm always looking at what is the now and what is the future. I think what we've learned is that we actually need one another. And we need to communicate, whether it's listening to podcasts or creating podcasts or talking on the phone or Zooming or, um, uh, you know, talking to grandchildren, you know. And, and it, it's, I, th- I think this has sort of closed up the generation gap a bit. You know, the, the older folks like myself are learning how to use these funny things called computers. And the younger ones are now finally allowed to because their parents are going, oh, my God, well, they're doing it for school anyway. Let them talk to the grandparents. And so um, it, it's, a, it's a different world. It's a very scary world. But then, you know, it's always been a scary world. And there I'm going off to do play Eleanor of Aquitaine. When you read the history of what was going on there where – you know, the Christians are murdering the, the Muslims, the Muslims are the Jews, the Jews, the, you know, everybody's fighting over one piece of land. Guess what? They still are, right? And, um, and you know, sort of lots of issues of women's rights and, the, and, and dictators and family squabbles and, you know, someone like St. Francis of Assisi. And, and they, I just, I'm, I, every time I do a movie, I go, wow, we never learned, did we? Well, and, and, and you, you know, we think, oh, we study history so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. And then it's like, well, okay, well, then we'll make new mistakes, but then also repeat a bunch. I mean, it is, it does seem very, it does seem very cyclical. I mean, when I did Dr. Quinn, for example, I would learn my lines, I'd go to work, I'd be in makeup, I'd look at the, you know, the cover of whatever newspapers out there and it would say mercury poisoning, you know, in Colorado from the, the gold mines from the 1800s. I go, that's our episode. That's oh my gosh. Right and then and that's the cover story of the LA Times, you know, and that was, would have been, what, 26 years ago. So, yeah, it is pretty wild. I mean... Um, I think, you know, communication, people learning, I think one of the upsides of the downsides of what's happening right now is people are actually taking time out to study, to learn, to listen. I'm not sure what their sources are sometimes, but, you know, the the internet is a a fairly fascinating place. And I think as with everything in life, you've got to be a discerning user. Yes, but but also, you know, another thing that you said that I think is so important is this app that your daughter's developing, and you're talking about you know people getting out and getting connected and being uh, and giving back. And I think, you know, 
that 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 sense of contribution is vital not only from a societal standpoint but i think the the healthiest the mentally healthiest people tend to contribute more and i can't help but think that it's because they're just not focused on themselves as much. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, that was my mother's whole adage. She, she said, darling, if, if things are really tough, she said, accept it's the hardest thing to do. Open your heart and reach out to help someone else. Then you'll have purpose. When you have purpose in life, she said, your problems eventually sort themselves out. But when you're able to help someone else, trust me, there is always someone worse off than you. You don't have to look very far. Wow, that's incredible. That's really incredible. Um, my mom has said the same thing to me. And I think, you know, I'm really, I feel like we were lucky, we are lucky to have that uh, in our lives, because that something like that is just so influential. And I'm sure has, because everything that you said you're doing, half of it was work and half of it was volunteering, it sounds like. Yeah in the past. Yes, I, absolutely. And I mean, the movie I did in Australia was all about Alzheimer's and about, you know, a, a woman who doesn't know she has Alzheimer's, um, inadvertently burns down her house, doesn't realize that her husband is dead. And when she gets to have to force to go and live with her, her own daughter, she doesn't really know what's going on and all kinds of crazy stuff happens. But by the end of the piece, she makes a choice as to what happens in her life. And she, completely radically and beautifully changes the life of every member of her family. So all their issues, everything inadvertently, she has helped them all. So um, it's an uplifting story if they can be one about, yeah. about dementia and Alzheimer's. And I, and you know, one of the reasons I did it is the, the man who was making it is giving um, half the profits to um, foundation for Alzheimer's. And, that, uh, dementia. That's really wonderful. But, but I also am, you know, I'm also curious when you say, because I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying it's easy to do all the time, but living in the present really does seem to be the key sort of, you know, mindfulness and not living the past or the future. But, it, but it's the idea of uh, what, what do you do when the present is terrifying? <laughs> you know, like when you, when you live in the present, you go, shit, the, ter- the, the present is a scary place. It, that, it's true. But you see, I can't, I can't control the next 10 seconds. Right. Right. I couldn't control the earthquake that you felt last night. Right. There was nothing I could have done to make a difference to that. Um, what I can do is now say to myself, oh, well, maybe I need to prepare myself and think about what I would do if that happens again. Um, I remember after 9-11, I just just watching the ticker tape and just watching these terrible images and just going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my God, the world's coming to an end. Well, the world didn't come to an end. It was devastating. It changed the world forever. Absolutely. Um, and then I was asked to go off and make a movie and no one wanted to make a movie straight after 9-11. No one wanted to get an airplane. I was one of three people in an airplane after that happened because I spoke to my mom and I said, what do I do? Do I stay home? And she said, no, darling. She said, you know, you can't live in fear. You, you know, you just never know. And she told me a story about a friend of hers who lived in fear. She had never driven in a car. She had never... Um, um, done anything dangerous ever in her life. She'd never flown an airplane or gone on a boat or, you know, done a sport or anything like that. And she was 50 years old. She'd get out of her house. She'd be very, very safe. She'd go to the bus stop. She'd get on the same bus. She'd go three stops, get off. She did that every day of her life. One day the bus came, it jumped the curb and killed her. Oh, at my the bus stop. God. So my mother said, really? Like, really? She never lived a life. Never. So never had a life. Yeah. 
only and, thing that could get her was, you know. You can't, you can't control if a bus is going to jump a curb and, yeah. and hit you. It, yeah. It's interesting. There's this, uh, there, there's a cartoon I saw the other day and there's, there's two people kind of looking at a sunset and one says, well, you only live once. And the other person said, no, you only die once. You live every day. And that right. was, that's very true. That was very impactful because I go, oh yeah, of course. Like if you, if you live in fear all the time, you're really kind of suffering multiple times, you know? <laughs> and, and you know something, I think most people do live in fear um, because people fear change. And I have a whole philosophy about this if you want to hear it. So, I do. so we, none of us choose who we're going to be born to or when or where or how or what our circumstances are. It's, it's a given. It's, it's what you, you, you're an egg and then you're a child. And, um, and I think of it like being in a body of water, whether it's um, an ocean and a wave, you know, you're in a big body of water, you're one of many. And suddenly it's that woohoo moment where, you know, the wave crests, you win the prize, you first kiss, you fall in love, you make the team, whatever it is. It's like, and then it comes down. Well, for most people, when it comes down, that they quit and they just go, oh, that's it. No, that's too painful. I'm never doing that again. I'm not meant to do that, whatever it is. But if you think about a wave, it doesn't go straight down and stay there. It curves. It comes down with some uh, velocity. It scrapes the bottom. So, yes, it hurts. And then it comes straight and continues moving. It doesn't stop anywhere. It keeps going up. It now has the experience of the highs, the letting go, the survival of the scrape. And if your heart and your mind are open, it will meet new water and, and create a new wave. And that's how I see life. So it's, it's really about how you handle change. I think that is the secret um, to, to living a full life. How do, you, how do you deal with change? How do you um, embrace it? And how do you know what you can do to make a difference and what you can't? Wow, that, 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 that's such an incredible metaphor. And it, it, because it, it does, at its core, what it's teaching you is like, it's never over until it's over, you know? And so just because something crashes down, you're right, doesn't mean that right around the corner is another wave that's going to pick you up. But, you know, I think as we get older, you can go one of two ways. You get hurt a lot and then you go, well, I don't ever want to get hurt again. Or you go, well, I've been hurt, so I'm not scared of that anymore. And I'm just going to keep learning and keep growing. And, but, it, but it is a lot of effort. And I feel like it is, you know, to, to um, try to escape discomfort uh, is sort of the core of our culture, I think. And so I feel like it fights like a, it fights a basic um, survival instinct that we have maybe, you know? So it's just... And you, you hear about so many people who have back pain or this pain or that pain. I think when you, if you can find a way to acknowledge and just say, yes, I'm hearing you pain. I hear, I feel you, I hear you. You do whatever you can do to not exacerbate it, and then find something other than thinking about your pain to focus on for, you know, whether it's meditation or it's um, whatever it is, some sort of a distraction or, you know, finding a different way of doing something, um, you can really heal yourself in many ways. I think it's people that hang on to past hurt, past illness, past... um, resentments past trauma um it's past yeah it happened and that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt and it isn't going to affect your life but you know you can you can recognize it and 
bit by bit, find a way to let go of it and move forward. Or you can hang on to it for dear life and say, well, this is what I know, this is who I am, this is how I identify, and you'd better feel sorry for me because I do. But I'm right. just, I'm not that person. <laughs> well, that's good because it's... I'm like, next. <laughs> well, that, that, that's really good because it, it you can get, it's so, it, it's so easy to get caught in these sort of cul-de-sacs of past called the sacks of the past. And then, you know, it's like, if you're looking in the back, you can't look forward and then you can't, you won't see new opportunities. And then at a certain point, it's like, you're trapping yourself there for some reason. You, do you want to be there? Do you want to hurt? Or are you ready to move on? And I, I think sometimes it does take that, even that simple acknowledgement of like, I'm done. I'm ready to move on now. Yeah. And I think actually that's, was interesting as, you know, in the, in this movie, the, the War of Grandpa movie, because yeah. if you think about it, you know, something I mean, we can all identify with, you know, you love someone for a very long time, and you lose them, you know, your life is, what is your life? Your life is about being connected to someone else and you've lost that connection. Now what, you know? And I think loneliness and depression are, are the, the hardest things in the world. Yeah. But you can be very lonely in a very big family house if you choose to be. Right. You can be lonely in a huge world with millions of people if you choose to be. Or you can connect, and you don't need to connect with that many. Just, you know, one's fine. Could be a dog or a cat, too. (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you browse homeowner reviews, compare quotes from multiple local pros, and even book a service instantly. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I, I'm so curious if you're willing to talk about it. And if you're not, I completely understand. But the, the near-death experience that you had, um, it... It, 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 you really did have that sense. You said, are you, you know, you can see yourself and you're sort of floating away. Was there something that pulled you back or what, did it just happen? No, I saw, you know, after the injection thing, I could feel my throat close, my heart beating too fast. It was like a loud noise in my chest. And then suddenly silence, complete, absolute peace complete peace, like peace, like I've never experienced other than when I tried to do meditation, but even beyond like complete peace. And I saw this white light and I just thought, Oh, that's, you know, peeling. And then I looked down and it was as if I was the corner of a room and I looked down and I saw this body that looked like me and I've seen myself in movies. So I know what I look like. (laughs) And uh, there I am. And there's this man screaming and yelling in Spanish, emergency, ambulancia, emergency, and um, now I'm my naked backside and the two huge syringes and he's screaming out on the phone. And, and, and then it's almost like you're floating around the room and I could see there was a syringe with blood in it. Oh. And, then, um, and then I remember looking back up at the white light and then, and I'm not of any specific spiritual belief system, you know, mm-hmm. not, 
you know, I'm very kind of open-minded about a lot of, a lot of um, that. But I do feel connected to the spirit of whatever there is in terms of mankind. I, I do feel that. And I, I remember just saying, well, if I can, I want to get back in that body because I have kids that I want to raise and I will not waste my time. I, I want to make a difference. And so when I eventually got back in my body, obviously cortisone and adrenaline is what got me back. My body was shaking and they were just, you know, the producers there saying, oh, she's being hysterical. She doesn't, she's afraid of the role. She doesn't want to play this part. Well, I actually ended up winning the Emmy as best actress for it. So he was kind of wrong about that. <laughs> no, no, I was not faking. They, you know, insurance doctor came the next day and uh, all the way from England said, you know, I knew you've never missed a day's work in your entire life and looked at my hip and said, you, you had anaphylactic shock and you'll live now, but you were, you, you were nearly not here. And, and after the first day or two where I was afraid to close my eyes because I thought if I closed my eyes, I'd leave my body. Of course, of course. Um, and my, bless her, my sister, my middle sister who worked for the airlines, you know, on the ground, she just quit her job and came to Madrid and lay in bed next to me and held me and, and just was there with me for a, a week. And, uh, and then I realized that you only take two things with you when you die, and that is the love you've shared in your life and the difference you've made. That's all you take. Oh, my God. Anything else. And it was, it was like an incredible an incredible awakening. It was like, okay, so that's what it is. It's, it's about loving and being loved, whether it's for a minute or a lifetime, whether it's a, a partner or a child or a friend or a, or a, or a dog or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and it's about the difference you've made. You know, did you impact anyone's life at any, at any time? Or did you, you know, did you, did you make a difference somehow? Did you, did you use your time, um, to do something that you uniquely could do during the time that you had. That's yeah. it. So mm-hmm. that, that's it. And that was my motivation. That's why I started my nonprofit Open Hearts Foundation. You know, uh, Christopher, late Christopher Reeve had a terrible accident. We used to have long conversations about, you know, how terrible it was. But at the same time, one point he felt it wasn't worth living anymore. And then he realized that actually he was motivated to change things for people like him. And he did. And she said, you know, the funny thing is, you know, I, when I die, people won't remember me as an actor or even Superman. They'll remember me for, you know, what I did. Anyway. I mean, that, 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 that's a really incredible story about, about Christopher Reeve. And that it, and I mean, do, do, do you feel like he, was he able to, I don't even know what the right word is. I'll tell you what I learned from him. Um, I learned that you go through stages of, you know, why me? And, do I, do I, is this the quality of life that I want? And then in his case, you know, his wife basically said, you know, you, whatever's your choice, but as far as I'm concerned, you are still you. So he wrote this beautiful book called Still Me. And I think he tried, you know, some sort of religion or something and then got out of that and realized that, um, that he had left a lot of people in, um, in the rehab whose families and insurance companies had all abandoned them. And they were just sitting there looking at a wall, just wishing they weren't there anymore. And, and at that time, there was no cure or even research for spinal regeneration. And um, 
And, you know, he got involved with stem cells and he, you know, spoke in Congress and he, he you know, I mean, the guy couldn't breathe, move or, or anything or do anything by himself. And, and he just moved mountains. And uh, I, I remember, you know, talking to him and, and um, he said the hardest thing for him was that when he was asleep at night and when he was in his dreams, especially just before he would wake up, he would be flying an airplane, jumping a horse, sailing in the middle of the ocean all by himself. And then he'd wake up to this noise of machines that were running his body and people who were, you know, you know, dealing with the machines and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the hardest part was that he could never really be on his own because these people would come to work and they were fantastic and they were wonderful people, but they'd bring their outside problems with them. And he ended up really realizing that they needed him because they needed to be heard. And he was a sitting duck. He couldn't go anywhere. And he couldn't very well say, shut up, you know, leave me alone. I don't want you to talk to me about your problems you're having with your husband or whatever. But, and, um, and then I remember him telling me that the hardest thing in the world was not the paralysis, it is depression. And he said, he said, that is the worst thing in the world. So he said, you know, mental, mental depression. So that, that is the toughest one of all. He said, when you go down that dark tunnel and you just can't climb out. And, you know, I think it's very interesting because I think people are finally really talking more openly about that kind of disease and I think with what's going on in the world right now, you know, it's become more, it's exacerbated it and it's become more um, apparent. And, you know, people, you, you know, I've heard from many people who've been through terrible things and paralysis and this, that and the other and uh, um, blindness. And, and every one of them said to me, the worst thing is depression, especially chemical depression. Well, and, and I, I know like my my dad's generation just didn't they didn't really talk about those things. It was sort of the, the walk it off generation like, oh, what do you need to see a therapist for what are you crazy and it's like i'm glad that stigma has i feel like that stigma has largely dissipated because i i see a lot of conversations around mental health and i think they're especially so important after you know in the midst of and then even after the pandemic i feel like we'll be dealing with the fallout of the mental fallout and so i really hope that people do continue to talk and they aren't afraid to ask for help if they need it and and connect with other people because it's so vitally important and that connecting is everything. And, you know, that's what I learned from the near death. That's what I've learned from doing this. You know, it's all about connection. And, you know, if once a day I would just pick up the phone, especially when I was in Australia and I was in quarantine, I thought, well, if I can't see anyone, I can now at last I have time to talk to my girlfriend that I haven't spoken to in years who we went to school together and see how she's doing. And, you know, and another friend who's, who's had a stroke, you know, it's, uh, I've got time to talk to him. And, you know, another friend of mine who's been going through cancer, just see how she's doing. And, you know, um, and another friend who's on their own because they're terrified and their kids are terrified and no one can visit them. And, and, um, it's just amazing. And that's part of this volunteer app idea is, is you can be, uh, you can do enormous great things for people just by picking up the phone and talking to them. 
and just say, hey, how are you doing? How's your day? You know? Well, you, you also have so many outlets, so many things that you do. Um, uh, I mean, the painting alone, I would imagine, is an incredible outlet. Like, if you, if you just painted, you would have a wonderful outlet. Uh, do you... Um, What's what's some of your creative process when you're painting? Do you do, is it the do do you sort of approach it like I sit down? There's a blank canvas. What it's just stream of consciousness. Whatever comes out comes out. Or do you sort of plan and get ideas about what you want to tackle? All of the above. All of the above depends on the day. I would imagine that you know if I was a musician, I you know I'd either decide I wanted to learn a Beatles song or I'd come up with my own. You know. Right. Uh, or I just, you know, come up with a riff and just go, I'm really enjoying this. Or I want to try something else. But no, I'm, I'm very, I, I like to experiment. Um, but I do everything from drawing with small children to drawing with people who tell me they can't paint or draw and turning them onto it. And that's one of my most favorite things to do is to talk to people and do like, you know, I call it the squiggle game where you, you get a, a pen, a Sharpie, and you close your eyes and you have your piece of paper in front of you and you put your pen down and you just move it around wherever you feel like according to your mood or wherever that hand takes you with the pen. And then you, when you finish, you take it off and now you look at it, turn it around any, any direction you like. And now you get to uh, color it in, decorate it, alter it. You know, that's just the basis of something. Because I think most people are afraid of a blank page and and, you know, if you're, you know, dealing with, well, this is a random piece of movement that just came out. Now they turn it into things. And I, 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 I love doing that with people. I, I've had such amazing times. And then, you know, when people start drawing or painting or even when you show them how to do it properly or watercolor or oils or palette knife or pastels, whatever it is, you know, people... Um, really kind of get into a Zen state and then they start talking like we're having this conversation. One, one of the things I really want to do and I'm, I'm hoping to do soon is, is um, a show where I, where I paint or draw with someone that doesn't necessarily normally do that. I was going to ask you if you thought about doing like a, you know, a painting show or a Bob Ross style show or something. But Bob Ross is showing you exactly how to do it with the happy Tuesday. I mean, actually, I am on the Bob Ross um, introduction, believe it or not. Somehow he got me to do that a long time ago. But no, a whole different thing. I think more like what you're doing, you know, talking and creating at the same time. And getting people to unlock their own voice, their own yeah. creative. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've already pitched the idea. I have a company that wants to do it. So, you know, that might happen. And that all came out of the pandemic. That all came out of finding myself um, painting with seniors and, um, and people in, with uh, disabilities. So, um, yeah, that's where it came. Do you, uh, that's a, that, by the way, it, I would watch that show. I would legitimately okay. watch that show because it's fun to watch. Not only is it fun to watch process, but it's also fun to watch people discover their own process. I mean, it, it, in a way, it's sort of like the artistic version of a home renovation show where someone is kind of shown their vision. It's like, oh, I do have a vision. I do. I can express things. Uh, I, I really hope, you know, even if it's even if they're like 15 minute episodes or hour long episodes, whatever they are, I, I hope you're able to do that. Well, I, I'm intending to shoot uh, the pilot as soon as I find a, a celebrity that is willing to do a pilot with me. Um, so I hope to do it when I get back from Spain in November, but, uh, I've been, you know, doing it with lots of people anyway, but yeah, I I think it's going to be really, really fun to do it. 
And, you know, and you could even do it over Zoom if you had to. You know, you don't have to physically be together, but I think it would be cool to be in the same place. And I think by then, hopefully, we'll be more COVID careful and, you know, be able to, you know, have, do things, be, be close enough to one another, but also, uh, you know, have space. It's a really different time, you know. Um, I, I think one of the things I do like about what's happened is people aren't jumping on airplanes for no reason. So that's got to help the planet, number one. And, um, you know, all these, these business people that kept going somewhere, you know, staying in a hotel, taking the, you know, changing airplanes just to, to do what? To have a business meeting that they could have easily on Zoom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and also... You know, it's th- th- these these types of situations where life kind of steps in to reset your priorities. And in your case, it was a near-death experience. And, you know, we talked a little bit about Christopher Reeve. And, and in this case, you know, a pandemic. Because yeah, when you're young, you just, you know, I mean, I don't know. When you were young, I would imagine you you probably thought, oh, acting is the ultimate thing. And you have this near-death experience. You go, I mean, at that point, did you go, oh, maybe acting doesn't mean everything anymore. Maybe I can do it because I like to, not because it defines me or it's something that I have to do. Well, actually, the interesting thing is I think a lot of people feel that what they do defines them. And I think where I've noticed I'm a little bit different is, I've never defined myself by one thing that I do. So I, if I have to define myself, I would say I define myself by having the energy and, the, and to dare to be creative. I mean, the, the, the thing that makes me happy at the end of the day is if I feel I've either made a difference or managed to create something or, you know, shown someone else how to do it. Uh, that, that makes me very happy. Um, and it can be in any genre at all. It really, it really doesn't matter. Uh, I don't understand boredom. It just doesn't exist in my, you know, in, in, it does, I just, I can't go there. Uh, and there's always, I don't have enough time left in my life to do all the things that I'm interested in. And, um, and I'm constantly growing and learning and, um, you know, and uh, I love to hear other people's opinions about things. I really do. I'm not stuck in one opinion. You know, I tell me, what do you think? Oh, really? I don't say you're wrong. You're right. I just, you know, that's interesting. I'm, I'm interested, genuinely interested. And I think, I don't think we are that way at the moment. I think that you have to sort of almost at birth take a stance as to who you are and what you stand for and stick by it no matter what or no matter what goes on in the world. And I think, you know, things change, circumstances change. Um, we, we, we have to learn and grow with it and also learn that we can change our minds, you know? Well, that constant curiosity, that, that flexibility, that, that openness to learn and to grow and to constantly be a student. I mean, I think those are the things that, keep you from becoming rigid and keep you from, you know, like slowly dying inside, <laughs> you know, over a period of time. Oh, I mean, absolutely. And, and you don't have to be an actress to do that. I mean, I originally, I was born with flat feet and a speech impediment. I used, I couldn't pronounce my R's. I go, I wound a wagged wax, the wagged waskles wham. My granddaughter, who's four, she can't pronounce her R's either. So it's obviously genetic. It's hilarious, actually. 
It's cute when you're small, but not so cute when you're older. So um, I had to learn to go uh, around and roll my ass. I also was sent to a ballet class because I had flat feet. Well, I ended up dancing at the Kirov Ballet with the Kirov Ballet at Covent Garden when I was 17 years old. And I ended up becoming famous for playing every accent known to man, but especially any form of American accent, which, as we know, relies pretty much entirely on your ability to uh, pronounce your R's. Absolutely. So I always tell people, you know, if, if you have a disability or somebody says, you know, this is what's wrong with you, that's invariably what's actually right with you. I mean, I have a press agent who is in his 80s now, and he's completely dyslexic. He cannot, it takes him forever to read. What does he do? He's up all night writing scripts. He's one of the best speech writers I've ever known. The guy is, that's what he does, you know. And uh, I danced and I did, um, you know, what, what I did. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting what what hurts you or what's hard for you often becomes the thing you become best at. Well, I mean, it, that's to, to be able to take those moments, to take those things and make them your strengths. I mean, that kind of a choice is, is incredibly empowering. And I mean, that, that to dance at 17 when you had probably been told like, this is not something that would ever happen. I mean, I can't even imagine the the satisfaction that that must've created. And also the, the um, the pattern of oh I don't have to believe what people tell me about me yeah I, I, I can decide exactly but this is the other part of it they were actually right I was not built my body was not built for ballet there was a reason I was always being told no 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 the good news is that because I started ballet I got I got um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very focused. I can, I'm very physical. You know, if I have to learn how to hit a golf ball or ride a horse or, you know, jump on the dodgeball, do- whatever it is, you know, I understand the physicality because of ballet, classical ballet, there's nothing more physical. Uh, the downside was that I injured my knee when I was 17. I couldn't dance anymore. The good news was that the school I was at um, forced you to do drama and I was better at acting than I was ballet anyway. And then the other good news was they made a lot of um, movies in those days in, in period costume. And because I had a very long back, I looked really good in Victorian clothes because I made, gave you a very small waist. And uh, no one saw your legs, so they couldn't see whether I had a turnout or not or flat feet. And uh, I was perfectly capable of dancing minuets, waltzes, whatever I was asked to do. So it, for me, um, it, it went full circle, you know. That was the wave coming back around. That was the wave coming back around. Coming back around. I mean, I went through a terrible divorce when I was 40 and my husband, ex-husband had lost all our money, left me 9 million in the red with the lawsuits from every major bank, including the FDIC. It was in the, in a, you know, the housing crisis thing. He'd invested all our money and hadn't told me and got me to sign everything and was uniquely, ridiculously to a degree of unfaithfulness that we won't even discuss. Um, I had lost everything, homeless, everything. I called my agent and said, I need to work yesterday and uh, called the, all the, um, you know, all, all the channels. And uh, that time I was at the height of my, my career. I was, and um, they said, oh, well, if she'll do anything, there's this little movie of the week called Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, which will never make it as a series, but she has to start tomorrow in less than 12 hours, 24 hours. And then she has to, uh, signed for five years, even though it'll never be a series because it's a woman in the lead, medical show, family values, Western, tick all the boxes. So that was it. So, you know, every time a challenge has happened, it's turned into an opportunity so many times that, 
you know, I've even written and published books about it called um, Remarkable Changes, Turning Life's Challenges into Opportunities and um, The Road Ahead and things like that. So, you know, I keep passing on this little tiny piece of information and I keep meeting people who agree with me or who have done it themselves, like a Christopher Reeve. And, uh, you know, I think that's my inspiration for the times we're in right now. I mean, that is, you know, the fact that you, you made those choices when you, when you were faced with these obstacles, you could have given up and I don't think anyone would have blamed you. Of course, she went through this horrible thing. Did you hear what happened? Of course, you know, and you didn't accept that. And so you, you made those choices. So you, you, you made that happen. And yeah, Dr. Quinn is just, it's one of those shows where when it's on, like if you're, if you're flipping channels and it's on, you watch it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's a great show and it, and it's still I imagine it's still, you know, like it's people still watch it today, you know, like, and that show was on 25 years ago, I think, wasn't it? More. I mean, yes, no more than that, because I was 40 when I started it. And I'm almost 70 now, so almost 30 years. And the amazing thing about it is that it's very pertinent to what's going on today, as we discussed. But it also really holds up. It's beautifully shot. And because it's in period costume anyway, in period time, it doesn't age. <laughs> it's, you know, you can be making that period piece right now and it will still be period, right? So it does not age at all. And the thing that fascinated me is it's still being shown in 98 countries. Yeah. So think about that. That means 98 countries in this world connect to that material which is made in America, about what? It's made about a new country where they came, they took, took over the indigenous people, did not serve them very well, um, brought in people from many other countries and um, made this a new world. And where did they come from? They were all immigrants, every single one of them, except for the Native Americans. And, uh, you know, that's America. And, and, and in the rest of the world, they look at this and go, you know, we can relate to this. We can relate to this migration of people because people are migrating everywhere now. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different, so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Wondery, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Wondery to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Wondery. 
Um, do you, uh, just cause I'm, I'm looking at the time and I think I have just a few minutes left with you. So there's a couple more things that I want to ask you about if that's okay. Do yeah. you still have St. Catherine's court? No, I don't. I sold it just before the, uh, the crash a number of years ago, whenever that crash was, I don't remember when it was, but it was a big, uh, crash. And, uh, I realized I couldn't go there often enough and it cost a fortune to maintain and uh, my then husband, James Keats, said, you know, we've put a fortune into this. We've got huge loans here. I promised you that you'd never be, you know, get in trouble like you did with your previous husband. And, you know, we'd, we'd um, bought uh, um, his brother's house to try and help him out. So we had loans on that. So we were in a bad place. And there was no reason to know there was going to be a crash. But uh, we put them both on the market. We somehow, by some miracle, sold both of them in the same week. Wow. Um, for, you know, the right price. And then the market crashed afterwards. So we, it was, again, it was providence. It was just as, oh my goodness. But, you know, I cried many tears about losing that house. And I go back to England and I go back and visit it all the time. The the owners there, I've never met, but uh, they, part of the provision in, in selling the house was that I was allowed to go visit my parents' grave, which is in the front garden. Oh, and, wow. uh, and uh, the, the church on the property is public property. It's, it's a working church. So, you know, and the neighbors are still the same neighbors. And, uh, um, and I, you know, I'm now very proud of the fact that I spent 25 or 26 years um, resuscitating a house that was over a thousand years old. It was built in 950. It is so stunning. It's one of the most stunning places I've ever seen. And, and, you know, I, I brought it back from death. I mean, it literally was dying and crumbling. I never used any, anybody's public money or um, national, you know, it could have had all kinds of grants. I did it all personally, everything, everything there. I did it all exactly how you had to do it. You know, grade one listed, all of that. I, I saved the endangered newts and the endangered bats and, and, and uh, I did everything the right way. And you know what? That house will last now for many, many hundreds more years because the person who bought it from me can afford to put even more money into it and maintain it and keep it in the style to which it, it should be you know, made. So I feel very good about it. I, I don't feel like I, I lost something because I, you know, like, you know, as I said, you don't take anything with you. You just take your memories. And so I have great memories and great pride in the time that and the things that I did for that beautiful house and that beautiful valley. Well, yeah. And also, you know, there's this idea that it's not about the keep. It's about the having, not about the keeping. Like you had it and you and you you saved it and you breathed life into it. And, you know, we just kind of curate the things that we have anyway, you know, for a brief period of time. And so you did you you were able to pass it on. Uh, you know, I mean, it is literally one of the most stunning places I've and ever seen. It's famous because of OK Computer. Yes, Radio I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, Radiohead recorded their most famous album at album. your house. At my house. I know. And S Club 7 did two. The Cure with that. No, S Club 7 with that. The Cure did two albums there. Oh, my God. Uh, Johnny Cash was playing there. John Barry, the composer, was playing there. Um, um, Robbie Williams uh, was there and pretended it was his house for Cribs. I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's been very interesting things have happened in that. Were you, were you present when Radiohead was recording or did you stay? No, no I wasn't. I, I rented it out as a place for them to stay. And I knew that from Peter Gabriel, who um, had his own recording place not far away, that the sound in this one room, this one empty ballroom, was better than any sound anywhere 
in England. It had four second reverberation. So any musician or any sound recordist would come in that room and go, oh my gosh, never, never, never touch this. Don't put a carpet in here. Don't put any furniture in. Don't, you know, you have no idea. This is like some sort of magic thing. And it had a, a huge high ceiling, but beneath that ceiling or above it rather, was this huge domed ceiling from hundreds of years earlier. So it had this uh, sort of extraordinary sound. And uh, so, you know, I felt that it was right to share it with musicians. And I also felt for me that it was a place where, oh, it, it I just, I felt, you know, my best art came out, out of being there, you know, so my best acting. I mean, my, I mean, everything that was creative happened when I was there. And any creative person that came and stayed with us, you know, they just said, oh, my goodness, this place has, you know, has something. John Barry used to sit at the end of the garden and he said, Jane, I sit here and I just, you know, every all this music's coming in my head. I just composition after composition. He said, you, you know, you cannot pass with this place. This place is extraordinary. So um, it was a very special place. And uh, I'm, I'm very glad to have had the experience I had. I, that makes me so. That makes me so happy. I, I've looked at pictures of it online. There's an article in Architectural Digest about it, and I was showing my wife because it is so smack dab in the bullseye of our aesthetic. And yeah. uh, and I looked it up, and I guess you can. I mean, you know, who you can't rent it. No, no, it's owned. It's owned by a Russian gentleman now. Oh, gotcha, 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 gotcha. But, no, it, but actually, it, is... it was only rentable when I owned it. Got it. And, and uh, that was a long time ago. Well, you did you did an amazing job. I just have to, I just have to 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 bow in um, in awe at what at what you did with that place because it is it is just storybook. But um, as we're kind of wrapping this out, I, I definitely the the reason that you came on was to talk about uh, well at least that we mentioned War with Grandpa, which is the movie. The cast is amazing, by the way. You and Robert De Niro and Uma Thurman and Christopher Walken and Cheech Marin. I mean, it's like. It's 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 an incredible cast. It's the most incredible cast of completely different people that you would never expect to have in the same movie, except that, of course, for Chris Walken and Robert De Niro, you know, this was they they yeah they'd already worked together rather famously, and uh, and Christopher Walken and I had done Wedding Crashes together. Yes, of uh, course. And I had seen one another um, in Malibu and maybe playing a little golf once in a while. Um, I didn't know Uma, but she was lovely, and it was just a delightful movie. And I think it's going to be a huge hit. Everyone's loving it, and um, I can't wait to show it to my grandchildren. I'm going to do that tonight. But uh, I did it because of the cast. And then I read the, the movie and that was, it really worked. And I thought it was very funny and very cool. And, um, but, you know, working with that kind of talent and you're all there together and it's almost like an ensemble. Certainly, you know, some of the scenes we were in, everyone would be in together. Um, it was just magic. It's the sort of magic you dream of as an actor. Well, I just can't tell you how much I have enjoyed this conversation. I mean, so inspirational in so many ways. And, uh, you know, it, it, just hearing that you just don't take shit from life is such a great, I mean, just sort of hearing your journey and hearing, you know, even briefly some of the things that you've done and not, not settling and turning obstacles into opportunities. I mean, it's, these are all the things that I and the people I think want and need to hear right now. And also contribution and, you know, connecting and, and mental health. And there's just so many wonderful things that we talked about. Well, I appreciate that. And um, have people check out openheartsfoundation.org. 
and they can see what we're doing with the Young Hearts app. And um, we hopefully this is going to be not only national, but international that we will be able to have this. This will be the go to place for organizations and volunteers. And um, we will be connecting people. And of course, you know, the interesting side sidebar to this is that if you connect doing something that is for other people and it's it's filling, it's your passion and it's something you can make a difference with. The chances of you bumping into someone similar are pretty huge. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes say yes. that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, um, again, thank you so much. That was fun. I'm looking forward to. I hope I get a copy of this podcast, or they tell me how I find it. Oh, absolutely. But until then, I say the end. <laughs> ID ten T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like sure. to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts